In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once upon a time, in a land of boredom and drudgery, exciting news spread. There's going to be a race, and all who run this race will grow strong, and they'll never be bored again. Exciting news like this had not been heard for many a year, for people experienced little adventure in this ho-hum land beyond attending committee meetings, waiting in lines, sorting socks, and watching sitcom reruns. Excitement grew as the day of the race drew near. Thousands gathered in the appointed town at the appointed place. Most came to observe, skeptical about the news. It's too good to be true, they said. It's just silly rumours started by some teenage troublemakers. But let's stick around and see what happens anyway. Others couldn't resist the invitation, arriving in their running shorts and shoes as they waited for the appointed time. As they waited, they stretched and jogged in place and chatted among themselves with nervous excitement. At the right time, they gathered at the starting line, heard the gun go off, and knew it was time to run. Then something curious happened. The runners took a step or two or three across the starting line and then abruptly stopped. One man fell to his knees crying, I have crossed the starting line. This is the happiest day of my life. He repeated this again and again and even began singing a song about how happy this day was for him. Another woman started jumping for joy. Yes, she shouted, raising her fist in the air. I am a race runner. I am finally a race runner. And she ran around jumping and dancing and getting high fives to others and sharing the joy at being in the race. Several people formed a circle and prayed, quietly thanking God for the privilege of crossing the starting line and thanking God that they were not like the skeptics who didn't come dressed for the race. An hour passed or two and spectators began muttering and some laughed. So what do they think the race is? Two or three uh, strides, then a celebration. And why do they feel superior to us? They're treating the starting line as if it were a finish line. They've completely missed the point. Well, that uh, parable of the race uh, comes from a book by Brian McLaren and Tony Campolo called Adventures in Missing the Point. And I wonder, are we ever in danger of missing the point in the way we approach the race that characterizes the Christian life? Now, maybe the story I read goes too far. Don't, don't shoot me afterwards. Um, because we do, of course, know um, from the parable of the lost sheep that there is great rejoicing in heaven when even one sinner repents. Or to stick with our analogy, when one person crosses the starting line and becomes a follower of Jesus. But that is not the end of the story. It's the beginning, at least for the individual runner or disciple. St. Paul writes... Run in such a way that you may win. And this morning, I want to dig into what running the Christian race is all about. Well, first, what is this race? What's it about? Well, elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. 
the prize that Paul speaks of is certainly not like the fading prize a runner in the Isthmian games might have received a kind of uh, wreath upon their head of Paul's day. No, Paul had something quite different in mind. Tom Wright describes it in this way. Paul has his sights set on nothing less than the renewal of creation, the conquest and abolition of death itself. The Christian is called to live in the present as someone who will inherit that incorruptible, deathless new body when God makes the whole world new. Now, this is lofty stuff. This is a great vision of the future even as that renewal takes place in the present. But how do we attain it? And I want to be crystal clear from the outset this morning that when it comes to the ultimate prize of salvation, there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a gift of God, and it comes to us by his grace and by his grace alone. But the race itself is all about living the Christian life. So the second question I want to ask is this. What does it mean then to win? For Paul, it clearly means something other than coming in first place. Indeed, if you read the rest of this chapter leading up to these verses, Paul has been going to great lengths to talk about how he wants to give up his rights, to to set aside his freedoms for the sake of others. Winning the race is not a solo effort for an individual crown of victory. On the contrary, it is all about bringing others across the starting line and running with them to the finish line. Paul is determined to run the race that God has set before him in such a way that he will win others to join the race and that with them he may receive the prize. That, I believe, is the context in which he says, do you not know that in a race the runners all compete but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you, all of you, may win it. So, the race is about living the Christian life, and winning the race is about being faithful to the end and helping others uh, get into and finish the race. Which leads me to my third question. How are we to run this race? And I want to preface what I'm going to say about this, and I've got three things to say, but I want to preface it... um, by saying that while Paul certainly has some challenging things to say about how we run this race, his challenges are not about adopting some training regimen that if we're successful enough in completing, we might get included in the team. No, this is about how we live and train and stay faithful as those who are already members of God's team and who have crossed that starting line. I think there can be a couple of dangers when we, when we start to take this great analogy of the race um, and the Christian life being like a race. The first danger is that we can read this passage or hear a sermon on it as if this is some sort of motivational speech to get you to try harder. And if you leave here this morning thinking that if you just have more self-control, more self-help and more self-discipline, that then you can be a super-Christian, well, then I've clearly failed in my task. And I want to say very clearly, that is not what Paul is saying, and it's certainly not the message I'm trying to convey either. Yes, Paul does talk about the importance of self-control. He says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. 
But this is not a call merely to try harder. Remember, where do we get self-control? Remember that one part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It is the Holy Spirit himself who helps us in our weakness. Well, the second danger in this analogy of the race, especially for those who have tried hard and yet have failed, can be that people may get dispirited or downhearted. And if you're here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I'm a terrible runner in the Christian life. I trip up all the time. I'm going to be disqualified. Let me say this. The fact that you are here this morning, well done, by the way, on this cold morning, um, the fact that you are here and concerned about such a question is, I think, pretty good evidence that you have not been disqualified. All right, with those two caveats, let's press into this question of how we are to run the race. Clearly, there's nothing haphazard about it. We're running to win. And if that's the case, then we'd better get serious about it. Christian obedience will often mean giving up supposed rights and freedoms in order that we might become the person God wants us to be. God wants us to be faithful, effective athletes in the race of the Christian life. And that requires the type of discipline and commitment, training and self-control that the Christians at Corinth would have regularly seen in the athletes who ran in the local games. They happened every two years. And athletes, we know, deny themselves for the sake of being fit for the race. And likewise, Christians must deny themselves, not only avoiding blatant sin, but in avoiding anything that hinders our spiritual progress. It matters how we live our lives. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So that means that my work as a rector, your work as a teacher or a lawyer or a parent or a homemaker, your work in the university or a hospital, wherever you get to run the race, in all these spheres of our lives, we are being called to be more effective race runners. And this morning, I want to suggest three things that we need to do that. We need power, purpose, and perseverance. First, we are to be powerful runners. But listen carefully. That power may come in ways that we might not expect. Henri Nouwen writes this, Real training for service asks for a hard and often painful process of self-emptying. If there are any tools, techniques, and skills to be learned, they are primarily to plow the field, to cut the weeds, and to clip the branches. That is to take away the obstacles for real growth and development. It is important that in this world there remain a few voices crying out that if there is anything to boast of, we should boast of our weakness. And St. Paul wrote in the second letter to the Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The power we have as runners in God's race is that which he gives to us by his Spirit. 
And our task is not to get in the way of what he wants to do in and through us. Second, we are to run with purpose. Uh, In verse 26, we read, I do not run aimlessly. Running with purpose involves being intentional about coming together to worship. It's about being in community. It concerns how we invest our time and our money for the equipping of God's people and for the purpose of sharing Christ's healing in a broken world. And this race, as I said a moment ago, is not a solo race. We're in this together. We have a common goal, and we are charged with inviting many more people to run with us. And third, we need perseverance. You know, last Sunday, I enjoyed uh, getting to speak with some of our young people at our G15 time. That's the gospel in 15 minutes, which is happening each Sunday between this service and the next one. I had the youth fill out a short survey to see how often each week and how much time each day they spent using social media and or watching TV or playing video games. And as you might imagine, uh, there was a wide spread of answers, ranging from not very much time at all to more than three hours a day. I didn't have a category uh, above more than three hours, but there you are. Um, The survey also asked how often and how much time was spent praying and reading the Bible. And again, the answers were varied. Now, the idea was not to make everyone there, the leaders included, uh, feel bad, but rather to remind us to persevere in spending time each day with God. Last week's gospel reading, which was the catalyst for that, you may recall, uh, it was between some healings that Jesus was doing, and we, and we read there, this just before this in Mark, that while it was still dark, very early in the morning, Jesus goes off to pray. Of course, the main motivation for this effort, this perseverance in spending time with God, is not to prove anything or somehow earn points with God. It's about spending quality time with the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you. This is not about guilt. It's about a relationship and making sure that those building blocks are there. You know, I think very often what stands between me and my time with our Heavenly Father is is probably tiredness or busyness. But if I'm honest with myself, that state of affairs arises out of the choices that I make with how I use my time and energy. Paul writes here, I punish my body and enslave it. If, however, we are becoming slaves to our bodies, their needs and desires, whether in sloth or at the gym, either extreme would not be good, then we've got things upside down. The scriptures are clear. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not to abuse them. We're to care for them appropriately. And yet, for many people, we're more prone to indulge ourselves than to punish ourselves. And while the ways we indulge our bodies can damage us mentally, physically, and spiritually, the kind of subjection of our bodies that Paul has in mind leads to life and health and vitality. Now, of course, running the race with perseverance can be painful and it can be costly. But when we stop letting our cravings 
lord themselves over us, we find there is space, lots of space, for God's good fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. So, let us therefore persevere in running this race that is set before us. Let us press on towards the goal of being found in Christ, being all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, that some may join us in this race and run with us. Yes, it is good to show up. Yes, we can celebrate when others start across the starting line. But let us never be content only with having been picked for the team. I believe that God's call to us is to be fruitful. He wants us to play to win, to give of our best. But sometimes that can also be about being faithful. Sometimes the race that we are in is hard, with little or no obvious reward. Caring for a sick relative, interceding for others, loving when love is not returned, sharing your faith patiently and kindly with an unbelieving friend or loved one. None of these aspects of the race seem very glorious. Usually it is the gold medalists whose names are remembered in history. They're the ones we think of as being the winners. But maybe there's more than one way to be a winner. Remember Winston Churchill's famous words? Never, never, never give up. And I want to finish with a story from the 1968 uh, Olympics in Mexico City. At 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators were left in the Olympic Stadium. It was cool and dark. The last of the marathon runners, each exhausted, were being carried off to the first aid stations. The race had been won more than an hour earlier by an Ethiopian runner. But as the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting in the stadium suddenly heard the sound of sirens and police whistles. All eyes turned to the gates. A lone figure wearing the colors of Tanzania entered the stadium. His name was John Stephen Ahwari. He was the last man to finish the race. His leg, blooded and bandaged, severely injured in a fall. He grimaced with each step and he hobbled around the 400-meter track. But as he did so, everybody in the stadium got to their feet, and they clapped, and they cheered him every painful step of the way as if he were the winner. After crossing the finishing line, Ahwari slowly walks off the field. And in view of the injury, it was pretty obvious he never had any chance of winning this race. And someone asked him, why didn't you quit? And he replied, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. The Christian life is a bit like a marathon. But when we pause to consider God's amazing love for us, his sacrifice on the cross for us, then I hope we will realize that this race demands nothing less than my soul, my life, my all. He asks you to run with all that you have and all that you are. We need to be finishers. You know, I'm glad to be here this morning. I thank God for his call upon my life, for his call to us as his people in this place at this time. 
Certainly, we can celebrate with thanksgiving as we give thanks to God for each other, for all that he's done for us. But the race is not over. You know, I'm pleased that we've started our new pattern of worship. We've made space uh, for more people to come to know Jesus. Uh, Lots of space this morning. But we're not having a celebratory party because we started. No, the race lies ahead of us. If you were here two weeks ago, you may recall I challenged everyone to answer the question, who will you invite to church? You know, over the past week, I've had three different people tell me that they have invited friends to come. Two of them came last week, and one of them hasn't yet uh, uh, come. Oh, well done. May we keep on running the race as runners who, by God's grace, are powerful purposeful, and who run with perseverance. Amen.